Okay. This is the parish of Shlach. The parish of Shlach is about the Miragla. So this is the question. Are you ready? So it says in Yeshua Perik Beis Boskav, that it's supposed to be everybody knows because we read it in the Haftorahs. Everybody knows. I'll read a couple of psukim. Vayishlach Yoshua bin Nun Vayishlach. And he sent. There's no doubt that he generated whatever it is the Pasuk is talking about. Vayishlach Yoshua bin Nun Minashitib. Shitim is the name of the place that they were in, B'nai Yisrael, before they went to capture Yericho, which was the first thing that they captured in Eretz Yisrael. They didn't exactly capture it. You know, they ran around and they blew the chauffeur. If you could do that today, that would be a real... Then anybody could be in the army. It wouldn't matter what profile you had. Right? But uh, we don't do that, so we need guys who can run. <coughs> So it says, Vaishlach Yoshua Benun Minashitib from that place, Shneim Asar Anashim Miraglim. He sent twelve spies, Cheresh, to go secretly into Eretz Yisrael, and he told them the following Luchu Ru'u et Haaretz Ve'et Yericho. Go and check out the land, and especially Yericho, since we're about to go to capture Yericho. Right? That's what he said. Vayelchu. Okay, the rest of the story is a little bit of like a, almost a non sequitur, but it's, an, it's important in itself. Non sequitur, that means in the sense that the Pesach says, I'm still in the same Pesach, Vayelchu Vayavo, they went. And they came. This is how how the how you write Hebrew, right? They went and they came, <coughs> which means they came. Like you would say that if they came, so Mistabe they also went. But in Hebrew, they like you know it's like uh, that's how it is in Hebrew. You like to say it that way. It could be that sometimes Chazal would comment and say. Well, the going was so important that it wasn't sufficient to say that they came. Right? But it's not true that Chazal make this comment every place. Sometimes they don't make that comment. So this is in those places you could say that this formulation is normal. That Jews not only come to a new place, but they go. Right? They go. The Jews go all the time. So these are Jews. And they were going, they were Vayelchu Vayavo, Beit Isha Zona Ushma Rachav Vayishkevusha. They came to the house of a Zona. Zona, that was her profession. Again, there was a shingle outside the door, and it said Beit Zona. It, it was nothing. I mean, why would I be ashamed if in Yericho they did this? You know, like what? I mean, like, 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 it's the the story is not told. It's not a moralistic story. They, from the end of the story, the the uh, um, it's clear that the uh, the way that they collected the their information, these spies, was to go someplace where there were a lot of people talking to each other. So they could have gone to a bar. Well, it could have gone to the Beit Zona. The Beit Zona was also a hotel. So that was a better option. So they went to the Beit Zona. 
So what's the question? Since you know the parsha and you've learned it a hundred times, in one form or another, how could it be? I mean, Yoshua bin Nun was a student of Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, not a student in general. He was the best student, the one who was the wisest student, the one who knew more than anybody else. Moshe Rabbeinu sent spies, and it ended up as the great tragedy of Am Yisrael. I mean, okay, they weren't killed all at once, but they were left to wander around in the desert and died in 38 years. Now why would Yoshua bin Nun want to repeat such an ill-fated activity? I mean, isn't it seem, isn't it seem clear? Besides which, if they were going to Yericho and had to fight a battle, and it made a difference, he went up on this side, he went up on that side, or he stood on this hill, or he stood on that hill, you know, like military type people seem to be interested in. Nicha. Okay. But after all, all they did was come to Eretz Israel, they ran around the city, they blew the chauffeur, everybody in Eureka was laughing, like whoever heard of winning a war by blowing a chauffeur, and then the wolves came tumbling down, which I guess made everybody in the city a little bit nervous. It was not just an equalizer. It wasn't like suddenly they didn't have their wall. But it was like, there's no hope here because there's no wall. I mean, the wall disappeared. So at that kind of battle, why would you send Miraglim? We're only interested in that. In why he sent the Miraglim. Not what information did the Miraglim bring back. Which, if you're learning that parak in Tanakh, is an important question. Right? So, so what did they get? What did Yoshua ben Nun get out of this exercise? Well, I'm just interested in the first part. Why did Yoshua ben Nun send Miraglin? I mean, look what happened the last time they did that. And there's no ostensible military reason, speaking as a you know, military expert, which is what you are if you live in Israel. So, so speaking as a military expert, I say to you, I haven't got a clue. I don't know why Yoshua did it. And it looks bad. It looks like Yoshua is doing, he's making the same mistake that Moshe Rabbeinu seems to have made. In order to answer the question, we have to find out what happened. And that is not so simple. But let's try. What was it that happened? So the Pesach says, now how you have it on the sheets. It's a heroic sheet. So you know that in Hebrew the word lecha either means something or doesn't mean anything. Right? Those are the two possibilities. We would prefer that it doesn't mean anything. Because that's one more word that I don't have to be able to explain. Right? That's good. However, you also know that sometimes Chazal said, no, that that was the crucial word. So when Hashem said to Abram, Lech Lecha, so Rashi teaches us that Lecha doesn't mean like go, 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 go very. But it means it's a kind of a go which will be good for you. That's what Rashi says, Lecha for your benefit. Right here, it's not easy for us to explain it exactly that way. That if Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha, do it for your benefit. Therefore we know that it didn't turn out so well. And since it didn't turn out so well, it can't be that. It can't be exactly that way. But we remember, that's a, that was a possibility. That will go, uh, let's just look at what Rashi says. 
Rashi says this, Lama Nismecha Parashat Miraglim Nefrashat Miriam. You remember at the end of the last week's parasha, Miriam and Aaron spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu. We call that Lashon Hara. And since it's Lashon Hara, reasonably, the Torah doesn't tell us what they said. And no matter how what they said, what Miriam and Aaron said about Moshe Rabbeinu, no matter how hard we've tried for the last 3,000 years, we still don't know what Miriam and Aaron said about, uh, about Moshe Rabbeinu, which seems to me to be the way it should be about Lashon Hara. Because Lashon Hara is, after all, as you know, contagious. So if the Torah would tell us Lashon Hara, the content of the Lashon Hara, then it would turn out to be like spreading Lashon Hara. So it's perfectly reasonable that the Torah doesn't tell us what the Lashon Hara was, right? However, judging from the punishment that Miriam received, we assume, we assume that she said Lashon Hara, that's what we assume, right? And Lachazal teach us, but it's also reasonable to us, even we don't know what they said. We don't know what they said, but we know that they presumed which is also part of Lashon Hara very often. How could he do this? How could she do that? Right? There's all kind of like a lot of presumptions about how it should be and how it could be and how it might be. And therefore, I determine as the one man judge and jury that, you know, this is a, it shouldn't have happened. So Rashi says this, Lama Nisrecho Parashat Maglil Parashat Mirashat Miriam. Now you know that Lama Nismicha is a question that you can ask every single parasha in the Torah, right? Every single parasha in the Torah. One answer of Lama Nismicha is, one possible answer is, because it's chronological. And even though Rashi is the one who says, we learned last week, Rashi says, but that doesn't mean that according to Rashi you can't be chronological you could be chronological so Rashi would never, never ask how come the story of Yitzchak comes after the story of Avram like it would be kind of unreasonable to talk about Yitzchak before you talk about Avram right? that would be they wouldn't ask that question Nevertheless, sometimes Rashi asks the question and sometimes he doesn't ask the question when does Rashi ask the question? It's always very simple, right? It's like a big about. When does Rashi ask the question? When he has an answer, thank you very much. <laughs> always, always. And where does Rashi get his answers from? It's all, it's all very simple. You don't have to figure out anything, right? So when Rashi says, he knows that this question was asked already. And that's what makes it a good question because this was an answer. What's the answer? So what is, what is Rashi saying? I mean, what is Rashi saying? Well, Rashi saying this. We're going to have trouble figuring it out. What are we going to have trouble figuring out? We're going to have trouble figuring out exactly what they did wrong. These Muradli. Who sent them? Moshe Rabbeinu sent them. Who wanted them? B'nai Yisrael wanted them. Did they lie exactly when they came back? Certainly not clear that they lied. What did they do? Maybe emphasize things incorrectly, raise doubts where there shouldn't have been doubts because after all, it was God who sent them and they did something. They did something so that according to Rashi, what might you say 
the Miraglim were actually guilty of, of Lashon Hara. And what was it that should have mitigated their uh, statements and made it easier kind of to continue the trip to Eretz Israel? What they saw from Miriam, so that it's as though we say this, if the Rashi said this, if the Miraglim had been the first people to speak Lashon Hara in the universe, under the auspices of the Torah, if no one had spoken, so so what can you say? Okay, so they didn't learn the Chavz Chaim, they didn't have Shemir Salosha, they didn't know all the rules, so they fell into a hole. But here, the Torah says, look, Miriam Hanuviyah, I mean, you know, one of the great people, one of the great Jewish people of all times, she saved the Jewish people, she saved Moshe Rabbeinu, Miriam Hanuviyah, she fell into this trap. So everybody else who went should have been very careful about it. So the first thing that Rashi says is there's an issue in the parasha called Lashon Hara. And if you're looking for the answer to the question, what did they do wrong? It's Lashon Hara. And you know very well that Lashon Hara doesn't mean that you're necessarily lying. But Lashon Hara is when you say bad things for no purpose except to produce a bad result. That's a kind of Lashon Hara. Right? Sometimes you have to say bad things, you're obliged to say bad things. Like, like if you're a witness, if you're a witness in a capital, capital case, there's a Reuben killed Shimon, so you aid him, aid him, the witnesses have to come and speak, and that's not called Lashon Hara. But if there's no purpose, and if you're just spreading ill will, and you're, you know, then even if it's true, it's forbidden. And therefore, the, the, since what Miriam said, we don't know what Miriam said, but it may well be that what Miriam said was true. The Lashon Hara was in the evaluation that Miriam made of the situation. He said, well, Moshe Rabbeinu is just like us. So we should act this way. So he acted this way. Kodesh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Miriam, he's not like you. He's not like you. You can't evaluate Moshe Rabbeinu. So, if I just draw the parallel according to Rashi, the Miraglim should have understood that if Kodesh Baruch says to go to Eretz Yisrael, so you can't evaluate it. You can't go there and look around and say, no, I'd rather go to Africa. Right? It was that, that's not the deal. The deal, you can't second guess God. That's called Lashon Hara. That's saying bad things, even if they're true, for no purpose at all. Because that was the deal that we entered into. We got the Torah. We accepted responsibility. And we're going to Eretz Yisrael. That's, that, that's all part of the deal. So that's what Rashi says. Rashi says, Lama nismecha, right? Right, What makes them Rishayim? What is it they were Rishayim about? They spoke Lashon Hara. They should have known better. They should know better because anyway, comes to practical halacha, you often don't know, right? You don't always know. Even if you know that, it's also to cook on Shabbos, right? It's also to cook on Shabbos, you know that. But then you still, somebody has to explain to you that when you take the ladle out of the soup and put it back in the soup and it, it's, the soup on the ladle got cold and the soup in the pot is still hot, that you're entering into the realm of, of, uh, of visual doubt. 
Right, so let's tell that to you. Most people don't figure it out by themselves. Right, so the same thing is true about Lashon Hara. You say, okay, Lashon Hara, but you know, until you read the Chavetz Chaim, until you learn Shmir Salachi, you don't know that it's a big deal. Right, that it's really, uh, so the same thing with, with them, they said, they went to, to, to say whatever they said, so they could have thought to themselves, that was not such a big deal. But after Miriam, they should have understood better. They should have understood that Miriam was a great person, she understood things in a special way, etc., etc. Okay, now the second Rashi. The second Rashi is where we get into, into trouble. Shlach lecha, remember, lech lecha letovatcha. Here Rashi says also that the word lecha has meaning. It's a word with meaning. Look at Rashi. Ledatcha. Ani eini v'savelcha. Now, theologically, theologically, I mean, you know, who can figure out what this means? But let's make believe we don't know anything about theology, which might not be so hard to do, actually. <laughs> And let's just, like, we'll take it at face value. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Cosmos says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm out of this. <laughs> you check it out yourself. So I guess what preceded this, that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Kaddish Baruch what should I do? What should I do? And Kaddish Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm not interested in this problem. You do whatever you want. Well, that's what Rashi says. Right? If you want to send them, so send them. But what kind of deal is that? Moshe Rabbeinu, what is Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu knows that this is a dangerous situation that he's in. So what does he want? He wants to lower the danger level. How is he going to lower the danger level? As was Moshe Rabbeinu's idea. Ah, uh, very good. You see, you make it into a tzivui. In other words, today you see in the positive divorce, they came and said, we want to do this. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, well, that sounds bad to me. Right, the situation is precarious. How can I make it better for the Jewish people? How will I make it better for the Jewish I'll turn it into a tzivui. I'll go to God. I'll say, what do you say? So if God says no, it's no. And if God says yes, then it's a tzivui. So a tzivui is like... What is it like? It's always like they're shlichim of a Kodesh Bok, emissaries of a Kodesh Bok. At shluchay mitzvah, ainam nizakim. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. You see Moshe Rabbeinu? He's going to trick faith. He's going to trick faith. He says, here, today Israel, they come, and they want to do a bad thing. They have something bad on their minds, and I'm going to trick them into doing something good. How will I do that? How will I trick them? I'll make it into a tzivui. What's a tzivui? It makes them shlichim. What's a shaliach? Ein shaliach lidvar aveyrim. Which is a great idea. What is the Kodesh Bohu said to Moshe Rabbeinu? No deal. No deal, no shaliach. I'm not interested. Come back to me when it's all over. We'll see how it is. Right, a new kind of conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and the Rebbeinu We've never had such a conversation before. But that's what Rashi says. Uh, this is the Posuk in Dvarim. You see on the bottom of the page? Dvarim, Peregal, Posuk, Kavbet, you came to me. Here Moshe Rabbeinu write Dvarim. What's the beginning of Dvarim contained? Oh, Musar. A remez to the center. Not a remez. 
What is it? No, you're talking about the first pasuk. But but all the pesukim they contain a list of the averes that Bnei Israel did in the desert, and to what purpose? Because Moshe Rabbeinu just like you know loves to go into these terrible things. So all the Mephoshim say that Moshe Rabbeinu was giving Musa. He's saying you're about to go to Eretz Yisrael and when you go to Eretz Yisrael you get a higher level of conduct and you have to be as you should be. And look what happened to you in the desert. You did this and you did that and you did the other thing. So if he includes the story of the Baragli, Moshe Rabbeinu Paragalim, what does that mean? That clearly when Ben Israel came to him and asked him to send Baragalim, then they were doing something bad. If they weren't doing something bad, then why would Moshe Rabbeinu mention it? He wouldn't mention it. So what did the Pesach say? We, plural, want to send Anashim, people, before us, you know, scouts. And okay, it means it's another word for spying out the land. Rachbar is to dig. When you dig, you move slowly. Like you see, like you, you go carefully into a small amount of territory. That's why And then they will bring back to us a davar, a davar, which could in Hebrew mean like a word a saying, a statement, an idea, a content, right? All of that is davar. Davar. Et haderch asher Right? will tell us about the road that we will go up upon, or go up to Eretz Yisrael upon, you could say it that way. Asher na'aleba. Ve'et ha'arim asher aleh. And tell us about all the cities that we're going to come to. And then the next pasuk is the showstopper, right? What's it? So, I mean, I, I say it's obvious that if Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about, if Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story in the book of Devarim in Perak Aleph, then clearly the story tells in Perak Aleph and Devarim is a story of Musa, right? You were bad, be careful, you have it in you to do this, don't do it again. I remind you of... Yoshua Benun, right there's Moshe Rabbeinu giving Musa. Where's Yoshua Benun when Moshe Rabbeinu is giving Musa? He's playing with the tape recorder, <laughs> right? He's that one, you know, the guy with the tape recorder who's like right in the shear, right, like right on top of it. That's but that's Yoshua Benun. Yoshua Benun, after Moshe Rabbeinu dies, that's what he does. He does the same thing. So there's some kind of dissonance. You're saying that this is the second pasuk in the story that Moshe Rabbeinu tells in the book of Dvarim is this Vaitav be'enai hadavar Vaitav be'enai hadavar You know how do you like that? Like this pasuk has been here all the time all these years, years and years and years every time we go to shul, every time they read the parasha it's been there all this time all this time the wonderful thing about reading a whole parasha on Shabbos is you don't have enough time to let any of it endure you. Right? It just goes by. It's like, you know, like water in a brook. That's like the parish. When you say, when you say, he's a good Valkyrie, you don't mean 
he helped me to understand the parasha. You mean it was painless. <laughs> right? That's a different, different standard. It's a different standard. There used to be a time when everybody used to lame their own aliyahs. Imagine that. I mean, I mean, that was what they called preparing the parasha. That's what I mean. I mean, you didn't get advance notice about which aliyah you would get. You just did it. So when you prepared the parasha, that's what, that was the level of preparation that you needed. Today, preparing the parasha is backwards. You have a little book. It says, Vortlach for Shabbos. You learn a vortel, and then you say, where is that possible? <laughs> you know, so you get sometimes they forget to tell you exactly where the puzzle because that becomes the issue of the, uh, can I find the puzzle? Anyway, that's what Rashi, that's what the, what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Vaitab b'nei adavar, vaikach mikem shnei masar anashim, ishechad l'shavet. Every single word has to be understood. Now let's just see how Rashi, the Rashi we're learning, understands all this. The Darba. You see that in Rashi? You see where it says the verb Aleph Kafbet? Nishlecha Nashim Lefanenu, Kemashin Emar, Batikribun Elai Kulchem, Umoshen Nimlach Bashkina. Nimlach means. What? To consult, to come to ask advice. Nimlach b'shchina. Moshe nimlach b'shchina. Amar. Rashi tells his whole story. Amar. When did he amar this? Ani amar dilem she tova. I told them that Eretz Israel is tova. Right? In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to B'nai, to, to HaKadosh Baruch and says, well, you know, this is how, like a terrible situation we're in. I told them, it's all out. What do they want to go and see? What do they have to see anything for? I told them, it's a good deal. They should believe that it's a good deal. That's what we said. When Moshe Rabbeinu presented this case to the British Lord, according to Rashi, he presented it as it was. As a negative event, as something that the Israel should not have done. And then the story goes on that Rashi tells, right? Chayehem. Chayehem is, is like a word that indicates an oath. Right? How that comes to an oath uh, is a story, right? No doubt someone has written a doctorate about it, but we'll skip that right now. It's an oath, it's a strong language, right? Chayehem. Verily. Verily square, or verily cubed, right? Americans are impressed by the word verily. English people are not. English people know more English. Okay. Chayehem shaninotein lahem makom litot b'divrei hameraglim l'ma'an lo yirashua. Isn't this terrible? This is the story. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, it was like this, this dissonance here. Moshe Rabbeinu goes to God and say, these guys have lost it. We've got to do something. What? So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you can send them. Because everybody knows that an Avera is something you have to do. It's not enough to think it. 
Klape Shmaya, that in heaven, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows that you're going to do the Aveira. So, and Lagabe Klape Shmaya doesn't matter if you did the Aveira or not. But if the world is going to be looking at the Torah, and they're looking for justice and clarity about how people are and how they should act in the Torah. So then, of course, you could only punish somebody who did a, did an Avera, did it ma- mamish, right? Mamish, that's another Hebrew word, <laughs> which has a variety of meanings today. But, but that, that uh, idea that you have to do the Avera, so here you have a to Rashi, There's no God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, they already don't deserve Eretz Yisrael. Why don't they deserve Eretz Yisrael? Because they asked for the Miraglim. And by asking for the Miraglim, by asking for the Miraglim, that, that's the end of the story. It, it's over. I mean, obviously, since they only asked for the Miraglim because they wanted to find out there was something wrong, so what difference does it make if they send the Miraglim, the Miraglim come back and they say what they say? It's a done deal. Everybody knows what's going to happen. That's what says to Moshe Since everybody knows what's going to happen, then, then it doesn't have to happen. It's as though it happened. Klapi Shmaya, Kodesh Mochel knows it's going to happen, so he can punish them right away. However, however, since Am Yisrael will continue, and since the system that we live under is to a certain extent, certain extent works on Sacharva Onish based on what you do and what you accomplish and not what you think. I mean, this is a recurrent theme in Rashi and and Chazal. When is it enough to think something wrong? And when do you have to do something wrong? But in any of it, so I'll give him a chance to do something wrong. But it sounds like in Rashi that it's, that's definitely going to happen. That's definitely going to happen. And therefore, according to Rashi, according to Rashi, Shlach Lecha Anashim means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to send them, but because you want to send them. Right, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, says to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's not a mitzvah, but I want you to do it. I want you to do it in order that they should hang themselves. Because as far as Shemaya are concerned, they're already guilty. But as far as you're concerned, they have to do it. So send them, and you'll see that they will do it. That's the way Rashi, that's what Rashi says. And then, of course, there's a problem in the Pasuk immediately. Right? Shlach Right? Pasuk Gimel. By Shlach Lachotan Moshe Bifarad Al Pi Hashem. I mean, could you have a bigger problem than that? <laughs> like it's like, like Rashi. I mean, it's, uh, it's probably not true that Rashi didn't know Pasuk Gimel when he was talking about Pasuk Face, right? It's probably not true. So you can't say that. Even though I imagine that that's the rabbinic way. Like the easy way out. Oh, you know, this is the, what he said first, and this is what he said second, and maybe, you know, if he had a, a bad afternoon or something. But we won't take that option. Al <laughs> Piyashem says Fakir, but what Rashi just said is this Al Piyashem, that God sent it. What does Rashi say? Rashi says, Al Piyashem, Birshuto, Shelo Akav Al Yado. That the word Rashut, when you say, what does Rashut mean? that God gave his permission that something should happen or something should be done. So one thing, it could mean that God actually commands it. Says this is, that's what Rishut means. Rishut means, I give you 
the authority. I give you the power. I endow you with the power necessary to do this act. That's called Bereshut. But there's another kind of Bereshut, apparently according to Rashi, that there's no, that God does not intervene. That God does not, is not going to stop you from doing it. Even though it's pointless, it's not important, it's unnecessary, but God will not stop you. And that's called Api Hashem, at least according to Rashi, in this particular, in this particular place. So it turns out, that, ra- that, the, that, that there's, a, there's a kind of a dilemma here, according to the Rashi telling of the story, that Moshe Rabbeinu is confronting. On the one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader of B'nai Yisrael, and his job as the leader of B'nai Yisrael is to get them into Eretz Yisrael, and that's his job right now. That's what he's into. Uh, that's what he's supposed to do. And Akkadjibofo just told him that nothing good will come of sending the Miraculous. Nothing good will come of that. So why did he send them? I mean, could, uh, they wanted to send Rabbi. He could have said, no, it's not a good idea. They would have sent Rabbi anyway. Okay. But then at least Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't be responsible. Why did he, since, since Rashi told us the story, the way that Rashi told us the story, how come Moshe Rabbeinu agreed to send them Rabbi? He should have tried to stop them. <coughs> so listen to the next Pasuk. The next Pasuk is this. Pasuk Bet. No. What? The next pasuk is? That was what I said? Shalach lecha anashim. Shalach lecha anashim. So Rashi says, it's not on the sheet. This time it's not on the sheet because of an oversight of mine. But I'll take advantage of it. Shalach lecha anashim. What? No, no. In Pasuk Bet. Oh, one second. Look in Pasuk um, in Pasuk Gimel. Pasuk Gimel it says, That's what we read until that those words, Hashem. But the next words, are they there? Kulam Anashim Yisrael Kulam Anashim. Now everybody knows that the word Anashim has two meanings and everything in between. The two meanings are the extremities and they mean everything in between. One word is, one meaning for Anashim is stun people, people. Another meaning for Anashim is angels. Who? No, no, but angels. Angels and every Malachim, right? And everything in between. Right, Anashim or Ishim, the Rambam says, Ishim, Anashim, it's all the same, right, the same word, it means angels and it means people, the same thing, so what does Rashi say, you don't have this Rashi, it says, Kol Anashim Sheba Mikra Lishon Chashivut Vota Sha'a Sherim Hayu, the word Anashim means important, 
very important people. And at that time, they were culture, culture of the Yosha. So what does that mean? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu send the seeing? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu send the seeing? What? In, in, in other words, he felt that this would somehow bring him out of the problem that he had. That surely these Nisiyim, who were also considered, as Rashi says, Kishayim, that they would defy, they would defy the will of the people, which was to deny their charge to go to Eretz Israel, and they would say, go to Eretz Israel. So in other words, in this, according to Rashi, in this tension that is created between God and Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, I wouldn't say this if I didn't think that Rashi said it. But I think that Rashi said it. And there's this tension that exists between HaKadosh Baruch and Moshe Rabbeinu. What does HaKadosh Baruch say? It's hopeless. I mean, they already indicated they don't want to hurt Israel, they're probably going to come, whatever they say, it's going to be bad. So what is Moshe Rabbeinu? That's Shlach Lechanashim. You can do it, but don't think that you have a heavenly Gushpanka. That there's some kind of approval from heaven for your sending the Miraglim. That's not the case. And so what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He picks the 12 people who are the most likely to return with a positive report about Eretz Yisrael. Kulam Anashim, all of them, each of them a great person. And Rashi adds, if you wondered, they were Ksherim at this moment, meaning that they did not deny Eretz Israel. They have not denied Eretz Israel. They're the ones who are chosen. What Moshe Rabbeinu choose to do in the middle of all this? To fight fate. Right? To fight fate, because Moshe Rabbeinu knew that you could fight fate by doing mitzvahs. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu fought fate after the Chet HaEgel, so Moshe Rabbeinu is fighting fate, even though it's known to him. That's what God said. This is the way B'nai Yisrael are, this is what they're going to say, this is what they're going to do. Nevertheless, Moshe Rabbeinu came and said, I'm going to work this out. Now, now, one thing, one thing you have to remember. Remember that pasuk? Same pasuk we started out with. How many did he send? How come he said two and he didn't send twelve? In the model of Moshe Rabbeinu? Because he didn't need, he didn't need 12. He, he was working on a different issue. So it's good. They do the job. I mean, how many people do you need? It's a dut, right? They have to come back and they have to say the same thing about something. How many people is that? Two. And why does he have 12? You still have two. But why did Moshe Rabbeinu sell 12? Because he sent one representative that he thought was kosher of Amit Shevet. But something else, Moshe Rabbeinu was in a different plane. He wasn't waiting for a report. He was hoping that these 12 people, who were each the leader of the tribe, would be able to convince the people in the tribe, at least, so that way faith would be thwarted, as the Kodesh Bokhul said to Moshe, to Moshe Rabbeinu. All right. That's what it says in Russia. There's a little more, a little more of the sheep, but let's look at the Ramban, since it's late. You see the Ramban very nicely printed? 
the end of the first paragraph in the Rabban line 9. You see line 9? It says, we're shown Rashi, we did Re'agada. Means everything above is a quote of what Rashi said, and we did Re'agada. What does we did Re'agada mean when the Rabban says it? When the Rabban says it. Not when Rashi says it. You have to understand that all these words mean different things for different proportions. It's very important to remember that. So it's better to somebody ask you what it means. The best answer is usually I don't know. <laughs> I don't know is a considered answer. It means you thought about it. Anything else means that you haven't thought about it. Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi says, uh, the Ramban says, usually according to the Ramban means it's not Pshat. I mean, you could say that. It's a nice idea. It's a good way of thinking about it. But it's not what either Ramban think is Pshat. And Ramban, unlike Rashi, thought that, that Pshat was sui generis. Which I think means, I don't know what that means, but I know it's a good thing to use those words once in a while. <laughs> it means, it, it, like it comes out of itself. Like if you read the words, and you understand the words well, you should be able to get a shot. It should be meaningful, right? Very modern, kind of. Uh, all the thing is that the Rabban also thought that you, you can't say anything you want. First you have to know everything, right? All shots, the Shulchanah, all the, all the various, you have to know everything, and then you can say whatever you want. But if you don't know everything, then it's kind of meaningless to say whatever you want. You know, sort of like, because you're not in the deal. You know, you're not in... That's the Rabban. That's what Rabban thought. So he thought that it's a pshat. Rashi thought pshat is whatever Chazal said pshat is. And the Rabban thought, no pshat comes out of the words. But the Rabban also thought that you, you, know, you have to know the words very well. You have to know what's going on. You can't not know what's going on. Line 12. He says, I don't get it, the Ramban says. If you say that there was this kind of a tension between God and B'nai Yisrael and then God and Moshe Rabbeinu, as Rashi said, so how could it be that in Dvarim it says, that Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, it's a great idea, let's send Miraglin. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know what was going on. He wasn't at all aware of the fact that B'nai Yisrael were... Uh, were rebellious? I mean, what did he say? And why did Moshe Rabbeinu say to the, the Baraglim, go check out the land and see if it's good or if it's bad? What do you mean? How can you give a short answer question? Right? What do we have? That means that according to Moshe Rabbeinu, bad is one of the possibilities. How can Moshe Rabbeinu do that? I mean, I mean, uh, we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu should be prejudiced. You can't be even-handed about this, because this is what God said. God said, go to Eretz Israel. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, well, well, we'll see if we like it. Moshe Rabbeinu said, so now what did they do wrong, these Moroccans? Moshe Rabbeinu gave them a list of questions. They came back and they answered the question. So then Moshe Rabbeinu said, tell us that the cities are well fortified, strong, and they got a lot of standing armies. They came back and they said, fortified, strong, armies. So what did so they do wrong? Well, that's what they were supposed to do. 
the, the Baraka didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's like the Ramban is reading the Chumash. And he doesn't like the way Rashi has set it up. Where there are good guys and there are bad guys. Right? And Moshe Rabbeinu is like tricking them into trying to make them into good guys. The Ramban doesn't see that in the Pesukim. Last line 25. Does that make sense? That Moshe Rabbeinu said, said to Bradley and he said, I want you to see if the cities are strong or weak. But then he whispered to them, but even if they're strong, say that they're weak. I mean, does that make sense? Is that like the way we understand Moshe Rabbeinu? Is that the kind of person he will, or the kind of teaching he was teaching on Israel? Doesn't make sense to us. Right? Doesn't make sense. Now, if you go to line 49. Line 49. This is what I think. This is how I understand what is going on. He is Israel etc. So that was the Rabban said. Well, let's look at the story as being a normal kind of story. Okay, they, they're confident God is going to help them and they're going to win, but still it makes sense to them to know whether they should go on the, 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 the highway with the blue sign or they should go on a road that has three numbers. Right, or like a single digit highway or a three digit highway. Right, it's like a question. Well, where will they take the tanks? Uh, they take the tanks on a highway and mess it up, and then no one will ever be able to drive on that highway again. Or they take the tanks on some dirt road that they found, which is going to save the highway. Even if, according to the Ramban, God is on your side, and God is guaranteeing your victory, you still have to be a little bit like with it. You can't just wander around and sleepwalk into, into a battle. But you have to know a few things of where you're going to park, and where you're going to set up the tents, and where you're going to have minchamarev, right? You know, like these are things that you have to organize. That's not part of the, of the promise of Kaddish Baruch Hu made to B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael, they're alive. So they have to, they have to do it like people are alive. They have to have a kitchen. They have to feed all the people, all the guys in the army. And the fact that they're going to win doesn't answer all the logistic questions. And therefore, they have to deal with the, with the logistics. So he says, uh, so he, he, brings, he brings a quote, a similar quote, from Vashoftim, uh, but now if you look at line 58-57, the second line on the next column, he was like on the side he was the chief of staff of a great army so the Ramban said there's a perfectly reasonable thing to do who's he thinking about? who's the Ramban thinking about? Yoshua Benun Yoshua Benun he was the guy who carried out on the ground they were going to go to Yericho capture Yericho poof just like that but then they needed a place to put the canteen where are they going to put the canteen? What? Okay. And where are they going to dive in Mincha? That was so Yoshua said, send these two guys to Yericho. And find out what's going on. Maybe they have a big hall that's not being used. 
Maybe we'll be able to set up here, maybe we'll set up there, maybe we'll be able to take public buildings of one kind or another. All of this is not in there, included in the promise that God made to B'nai Israel. But B'nai Israel, they have to be, they have to act like reasonable people and figure it out. And that's what the Ramban said. I want to tell you about the Midbar. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. Their food was always prepared for them. And it always tasted the way they wanted it to taste. And the drink was always available to them. If you like mineral water or Diet Coke, that's what you got. It's only when they came to Eretz Yisrael that they had logistic problems. Before that, they didn't have any logistic problems. And they didn't have to, and therefore, therefore it was all new to them. So, so, uh, so the Rabban says, so Yeshua bin Nun, let's say Yeshua bin Nun, so they could have sent somebody to see, well, where should we camp? Where should we stop? Where should we start? Where are we going to put the women? Where are we going to put the children? Where are we going to put the flocks? I mean, I mean, all these are reasonable questions. Until then, they didn't have them. That's true. When they went to conquer Yazer, you look up the puzzle, Moshe had also sent spies. Even though he knew that they were going to win. Right? But you send spies, you always send spies. That's the Ramban's position. And he said, Remember Yoshua Binun? So in other words, according to the Ramban, Yoshua Binun was normal. Moshe Rabbeinu and Yazer was normal. What was abnormal? The only thing we know about that was abnormal till now, that he sold 12 people to spy. That was abnormal. So all the other cases of spying, how many were sent? Two were sent. But why were they sent two? As I told you, because Aiden is two. What? Two? Normally, not is it not, but if you have ten, it's also two. You'll get more than two. Right? When ten come, and they say whatever they say, it's just like two came. You don't get any more than two. Two is the maximum. Two is the maximum. And that's what the Pesach means in Devarim when it says, Why did Moshe say, oh, I was going to say that myself. Very nice of you to say, let's send Miraglim. I would have also said the same thing. And let's send, let's send Miraglim. Like this is like a, a odd thing for the Ramban to say because he thinks that everything is a nest. But okay, but again, we're going to ignore theology, right? This has an appeal. This comment, because even if God tells you you're going to win, you still have to take care of things. You can't be uh, you can't be a knock, right? You can win and look good, and that's why he said miraglim and then he goes on and he says that even if you know you're going to win you act it out you have a fighting force and you train them and you have guys with bows and arrows and guys with shields and guys with even though you know you're going to win so you can say oh, so what do I have to train what do I do with that just go there and stand there and all these other guys will just fade away according to the Ramban that's not the deal the deal is that you have to be proactive HaKadosh Baruch helps you to ensure that you will get victory but HaKadosh Baruch is not willing to, after all, after all uh, uh, it's, it's almost partial, right? It's almost partial. That in order to get Eretz Yisrael, what do you need? Two things. You need Kibush and Nachla. Right? What's Kibush mean? 
to conquer. What's Nachla mean? To inherit the... How do you inherit the land? By, by what? No, no, you inherit the land by living in it. Right? Kibush means you conquer it. And Nachla means you live in it. Right? You do whatever people do when they live in it. So, so it's not true that God is going to give you the land, so to speak. Like, you could sit in your fancy apartment in Manhattan and then on some agreed upon date, God will give you the land. That doesn't seem to be the way it is. The way it is, is that there's a, a, there's a connectedness between giving and taking. Right? God will give you the land, but you, on your side, you have to take it. Right? And how do you take it? Kibush and Nachlo. That's what, that's what the Ramban, that's what the Ramban says. So this is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if God is going to give it to you. You have to take it anywhere. The Ramban didn't explain this, but this is what the Maharal says. The Maharal is, is a very Maharalian type of idea. Like, like uh, uh, in, in other words, like, like, uh, like Matan Torah. It's like anything. It's any kind of a gift. Any kind of a gift. If I give something to somebody and and he has no way of relating to it. So, he can't take it. So, did you give it? You know, like... I don't really like the laws of kin. Kin is something else. I'm talking about giving a matone, where there's no problem, but I'm saying giving the matone, it has to be kabola samatone. You have to accept the matone. And to accept the matone, you have to have some way of relating to it. But if it's, you give something that, no, that you, the, the person who gets it doesn't relate to it at all, doesn't know what it is, there's no way of using it, so then it's not easy to understand whether it was a matot. who gave the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. So the Rambad, uh, the Maharal, always says that, that B'nai Yisrael had to become a klikibu for the, for the Torah. They had to be worthy of getting the Torah. But if they weren't worthy of getting the Torah, then they wouldn't have gotten it. How, how did that mean? God gave the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. How could they not get it? According to the Ramban, that makes sense. You only get something that you are able to receive. So the Ramban says the same thing about Eretz Yisrael. He says, he, God could have given Eretz Yisrael to us as a, as a bank transfer. You know, like you go to your bank in the morning, and you have your, your Nachlo, I mean it's all there, it's written down, and you continue to live wherever you, can, wherever you live. But apparently, the way it works is, that the giving is only completed if there's a taker. And the taking of Eretz Yisrael is done through Kibush and Nahua. That's what taking Eretz Yisrael, what Eretz Yisrael means. So that there's an activist side to it. It's not only in that, but also in the war. You have to do something. You have to be prepared. You have to act as though you want it to happen. And then it will happen. And then it will happen. So now if you look at, at, uh, at uh, 89, line 89. That's what we understand. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted the Miraglim to serve another purpose, according to the Rambat. The first purpose was to spy out the land. Not to decide whether they should do it or not. But there was a practical reason for spying out the land, like whenever you go to war. But there was another thing that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted the Miraglim to do. He wanted them to spread good cheer. 
and show the people that it was really a nice place, that it was already developed, that they could already go and eat grapes in Eretz Israel. It isn't that great. Uh, it's that they would be smechim, the Ramban says. I'm on line 96. In other words, and he says, he says, a swore. He says, Eretz, uh, Eretz Canaan is not so far away from Eretz, Eretz Mitzrayim. How long were they in Eretz Mitzrayim? Well, Redu, right? 210 years, maybe longer. But they were there, so there were people going to Eretz Canaan and coming back. They knew all about Eretz Canaan. They knew if it was a nice place or not a nice place. So he says, he says the Ramban, the main purpose of sending Muraglim was to make sure that all these incidental logistic matters would be clarified and that the Muraglim would be able to tell me what to do. But incidentally, he said to them, bring some good stuff. You know, was it like it was a chibish? Was it that they didn't know that there were grapes in Eretz Yisrael? and other things that were good to eat, uh, etc. But he thought that, that B'nai Israel would be happy if they saw tangibly, right before their eyes, these things that come from, from Eretz Yisrael. Line 109. Line 109. So he doesn't like this whole story that Moshe that Rashi wrote that Moshe Rabbeinu is discussing this with God because what he's doing is a very reasonable thing and that's why he's like Benai, Adavar, everything is fine Lo nimlach Moshe Bashchina Right? Lo nimlach against what Chazal said against what Rashi quotes that they didn't have this conversation and, that, and God did not give this advice to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu say that you do it because the, their faith is sealed right the way we understood the way we understood Rashi Avotam Shlach Lecha so what do the words mean? Shlach Lecha Anoshim Hiskimu Lishloach Miraglim Vayabim Minhakshi Shlush Neim Shnaim Anoshim Raglim Cheresh Neimov Vishishishalchu Miktsatam in other words, he says, this whole thing, it's like God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, perfectly reasonable thing to do. So do not a mitzvah, but it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. So do it. Why? Twelve people? Oh, that, according to the Ramban, is when a Kodesh enters into this process. And he says, look, a Kodesh uh, uh, mentioned the fact that this could turn out badly, and perhaps the Shtenus Ranashim would alleviate it. Just what Rashi seemed to say was Moshe Rabbeinu's position that he said to Shlevis Anashim here according to the Ramban it's God who commands Moshe Rabbeinu this is the only, this is the command God commands Moshe Rabbeinu to send 12 people, not 2 people, which is the normal thing to do 
but to send 12 people which runs against normal right? it's not the normal normal thing to do because right? he, he says I'll go back I'm on line 115 the last words last word because God wants to try to make sure that all the great people of Israel will agree that you should go to Eretz Yisrael maybe they'll do tshuva B'nai Yisrael v'yashuv el Hashem v'em ha'ayin v'orizu if it doesn't work out that way doesn't work out the good way so what will happen? sh'tiyeh ha'gzerah shavah b'chol ha'am that could either be a leniency or a chumr, right? It's hard to, hard to tell. But that way, if the representatives, if all the representatives of the 12 tribes are unable to sway the people in the right direction, that means that all the people have sinned. All the people. Not like the Cheta Egel, where you make a distinction between the ones who actually did it and the ones who were hanging around and the ones who were not involved, right? There were these distinctions. But now there's not going to be any distinction, and that's why the punishment for the Cheta Meraglim, as the Chumash says, was a national punishment, right? The entire nation was punished equally. According to Rashi, what did Api Hashem mean? That God didn't say, like he sort of took himself out of the picture, and therefore there was no contradiction. But Zeatam Api Hashem, the Ramban says, Zeatam Api Hashem, Sheyu b'mitzvot Hashem nisiim v'rashay v'nei Yisrael. That it was God who directed Moshe Rabbeinu to send the nisiim, because God knew that it would end badly, and therefore he tried to avoid it. Whereas according to the Rashi story, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that it would end it badly because he found that out from Akadosh Baruch He sent the twelve to see him, and he asked all of these questions in the hope that he would be able to change this fate, this fateful situation of Bnei Yisrael. Okay, have a good show.